0: First, thank everyone for coming again. Tonight, I have a lot to say. I am going to mix a bit of psychology with this God thing and try to get us to a deeper understanding of why we do what we do. Um, I think I have, with the help of, of course, others who pioneered before me, figured out what our core or root is to our sin, to our pain, to our suffering. I'm going to try to go through it fast, but if it seems like I'm going too fast, let me know that too, okay? Because I don't want it to just swing by you and then you didn't take anything in, okay? I will say that what I'm going to deal with tonight is not the nice stuff that we want to talk about. It is not the stuff that we even want to admit that is in our lives. It is the ugly stuff that we all have tried to cover. So you may be a little defensive at first when you hear it, and you may not want to take it in, but I prayed before I did all this, and um, have really been not knowing who's coming, but throwing all you guys in his face, and saying that he would hopefully tear down some defenses. And um, I believe that if you guys let God do the work that he's trying to do, you will be different. I am a believer that we can beat God one time and be different, that if we really have faith and believe and trust that he can do the work, we can walk away from here very different than how we came in. So the title that I'm coming from is Shame. The core problem. I'm going to do this slowly, but not to try to push CD sales, but you're probably going to need to get the CD to hear it, to hear everything that I'm saying, okay? The first scripture that I'm going to come from is Isaiah 54 and 4. It says, don't be afraid because you won't be put to shame. Don't be discouraged because you won't be disgraced you'll forget the shame you've had since you were young. Shame is the thread that we have based our lives on. It is what is responsible for our insecurities, fears, resentments, anger, frustrations, depression, lack of faith, trust, and love. This pervasive shame and guilt, which is really all an illusion, has sucked our ability for goodness from our lives. Shame is the thing that leads to our compulsive sins and addictions. We are trying so hard to prove we are not what we fear to be, that we create the very person whom we're trying to exercise. I have these compulsions and addictions to help me hide from my shame, yet it creates more shame and guilt, and I'm stuck in a vicious circle of confusion and sin. Shame requires me to be a presentation. I have to package myself in a way so that you never suspect how I feel inside. Even the church has encouraged this, and I'm not just talking about the dress code that some churches have, but the removal of the just as I am experience. When I am frightened to bring God all my junk, then I miss out on him healing all of me in me being able to know I am fully loved as I am. The most benign thing can be your defense. When did it start that we should come to church in a uniform? And I'm not just talking about our clothes, but our lingo, our gestures, our false praise. Our dressing up doesn't honor God. It is a way to conceal what is going on in our hearts. If I'm sick with pain and need to go to the hospital, the last thing I'm gonna do is trying to find my best clothes, get all cute and run to the hospital. I'm gonna go just as I am. Why is it that we never come to church, the place of healing, looking and acting sick? We come looking well and we wonder why we are never healed shame causes me to cover my sickness so no one will perceive how ill i really am we must expose and despise the shame so god can heal us now i'm going to define shame and guilt but my emphasis will be debilitating and pervasive shame the shame that covers every area of our lives shame is a feeling deep within our being that makes us want to hide we feel suddenly overwhelmed and very self-conscious. The feeling of shame makes me feel exposed, visible, and examined by a critical other. It is the sense that the examination has found the self to be imperfect and unworthy in every way. We hang our heads, we stoop our shoulders, we curve inward if trying to make ourselves invisible. When we experience shame, our eyes turn inward on ourselves. Shame is the experience of the self-judging, who we are against the image that significant adults in our childhood have given us through their actions, words, and gestures. When we go through this, remember, it's not just the words that were spoken to us or the actions that were given to us, but it's also the very gestures that we saw, that helps shape our shame. When we feel shame, we see ourselves having failed to live up to the fantasy image created in us, or for us. When we experience guilt, the anxiety we feel relates to the fear of punishment. When we feel guilty, we blame our behavior or lack of behavior in a given moment. Guilt goes with behaviors or lack of behaviors. When we feel shame, it is our self that is being judged. The anxiety we experience in shame relates to the fear of potential isolation and abandonment. If we do not meet the expectations of valued others, we risk their rejection. As children, we depend on those valued others for life support. What we unconsciously believe is at risk And each shameful experience is our connectedness to others in our world. As babies and children, we know we need others to survive. This is why we fight connectedness so much now, because our need for connectedness back then is responsible for our shame, so we think. Now debilitating shame is an isolating experience that makes us think we are completely alone and unique in our unlovability. It is a feeling that we are intensely and profoundly unlovable. It is not that I am afraid of love, being loved or giving loved. I am simply ashamed. My shame says I am not lovable. I can't be loved. Only a fool would love me. I'm flawed so the love I give must be spoiled as well. We have been spoiled by this world and man, but God is our salt and preserver. It is my shame that says anything good directed toward me cannot be received. My shame says I am not worthy of trust, of grace and mercy, or faithfulness from God or others. Debilitating shame is a state of self-hate and self-devaluation that is comparable to little else it makes us feel that life is happening to us and that we are helpless in the wake of that happening when we experience debilitating shame all reality perspective is lost and we feel that our vulnerabilities are exposed and magnified and this is why we're so sensitive because i'm thinking everybody sees me and everyone's examining me. We believe that others in our world view us with disdain and or disgust. We think that perhaps we can be accepted if we can only become more lovable and perfect. But our shame says we are simply mistakes and failures. The fear is that if you ever saw who I really am, if you could look deep in me, you can know the truth that I know about me. But the truth is that if we look deep inside, we would see a wounded little boy or girl pleading for someone to love and care and believe in them. This wounded child is still who we are. This is the child who God sees. Now, pride is often considered the opposite of shame. Shame is our fear to live up to the image significant others have expected of us, and now we expect of ourselves. We feel pride when we have reached the image of the other's expectation. If we are alone when we experience shame or pride, it is because we are using fantasy eyes of the others to look at ourselves. However, if pride is the flip side of shame, then grandiosity is the flip side of debilitating shame. For example, when you fail to meet the image required of you, you feel worthless and unlovable. That's debilitating shame. In order to succeed, you have to feel better than everyone else. That's grandiosity. You can only succeed in meeting your expectations of self if you can succeed in becoming better than others you have to win others over. You have to be stronger, smarter, more righteous, more put together, more lovable. Everything, you have to get over everybody else. Otherwise, you've never succeeded. This is why pride comes before a fall. We are trying to live up to others and not to God. Even though the Bible says to mark the perfect man Others can always change their perceptions and desires, which will then cause us to come up short again. But God has set the mark, and his never changes. My identity must be based in Christ and not in others. Numbers 23 and 19 says, God is not like people. He tells no lies. He is not like humans he doesn't change his mind. When he says something, he does it. When he makes a promise, he keeps it. God is trying to tell us he is not like those who have wounded us. He will not disappoint or hurt us. We must change our very perception of God. It is the unresolved, unspoken and repetitive shaming in our young developmental years that has created the debilitating shame with each incident of shaming we feel more unlovable insignificant isolated and dependent the more these shameful experiences were repeated without resolution the less trusting of ourselves and and others we have become Over time, we feel less sure of the world in which we lived and our place in the world. Shame comes in many forms and is directed towards the self in countless verbal and nonverbal ways. When shameful experiences are repetitive and there is no opportunity to talk about them, the individual feels increasingly more disconnected from his or her world. A sense of isolation. And uniqueness is the fabric out of which debilitating shame is created. Anything that makes me go inward has created shame. You gotta think of the incidents and times in your life when you went inward. That'll help you find out which things caused your shame. So here are some examples of things that can produce shame in our childhood. I'm going to list like six of them and you don't have to have all six to have the shame. You could have got caught in one or two and the pervasive shame is still carrying in your life. So the first one is through words and or behaviors that you were not wanted. This can be delivered as early as infancy by the lack of being held in quality interactions. And we know that all half the time we're taught, you don't spoil kids. Don't hug them, don't hold them, put them down. But the reality is, is that when you don't give quality time, you actually spoil the potential of a child. Every time you were rejected, every time you walked away feeling unwanted, shame was created. A second way, disapproval of self instead of behaviors, if you were told you were bad, you were worthless, you were no good, instead of the behaviors you did that were foul, shame was created. Another way, if you had to hide a part of yourself, for example, your mistakes, your needs, your joys, your sorrow, illness, successes, tears, anytime you had to hide a part of who you were, Shame was created. The thought is I must be bad for having these things. Remember your parents are your life support. The thought is without them, I will not survive. If they're telling me that this is not acceptable, then I must be bad. Another one, emotional or physical boundaries are violated, be it physical or sexual abuse, Insults are name calling and as a culture, we are very into violating physical and emotional boundaries. We really don't have much regard for children. So we get a kick out of beating them, degrading them. It's okay, they're just little people, little things so a lot of times, and it's like a running joke, people can just talk about all the harm that was done to them when they were growing up. Oh, yeah, my mother used to beat me like da 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 and they called me this, this, that, and this becomes something that has become acceptable. Now, as an adult, we can pacify it. We can act like it's no big deal. But as a child, you were wounded. As a child, shame was placed on you. And we're not even going to. The extent of sexual abuse that people turn their backs on. Another way shame is created. We have alcoholism, drug abuse, embarrassing behaviors, or someone has a physical or mental disability and it can never be discussed. I know my daddy's an alcoholic, but we can't talk about it. I know my mom is a drug addict, but we can't say nothing. She's picking up me from school with rollers in her head, looking a hot mess, and I'm embarrassed. Shame is created. Whenever you have secrets, you have shame. Whenever there's things we can't discuss, it is shame. Whenever there is silence, you have secrets, you have shame. The last one, when trust is damaged or destroyed through neglect or inconsistencies, the feeling of disconnectedness and lack of attachment increase internal shame and isolation. Again, I go inward to protect myself from disappointments. Every child that waited for a parent to pick them up, never showing up at the game, graduation or big events. It said to the child I am not worth their time and efforts. Shame is created. When a child is wounded and suffers debilitating shame, the only way they can survive is to defend and adapt to the requirements and needs of those they depend upon. Children develop defensive patterns that become rigid and inflexible by adulthood. This is the creation of the survival mass. What mask did you put on to survive? What are you defending yourself against? What requirements did you have to adopt to survive? I need you to be able to list all of them. A small child unable to protect itself clings to the caretaker The child must develop a false self or an external disguise to protect its real self from the harshness of a shaming environment. This is why we are not authentic. This is why we are not whom God created us to be, because we had to become something false to survive. Remember, shame is an isolating feeling. This is why we have so much trouble with connecting and intimacy. We have to keep it hidden, yet the more we isolate it, hiding it behind the masks that were once demanded of us, the bigger the shame grows and the lonelier we feel. The greater the anger is, the greater the fear of abandonment. We may express anger or turn it back on ourselves in the form of depression. We feel guilty in an attempt to save our attachments to others. And then, of course, we feel shame all over again. So I have shame for having the mass. Then I feel guilty for participating in the mass. And that's the cycle. Feeling forced to live behind a mass of a once considered acceptable self is debilitating. We have worn these masks for so long. At one time in our lives, it was acceptable. It is what people expected of us. It is what we had to be to survive. It is also a double bind. If we let ourselves and others see and hear our shameful secrets, we fear abandonment, which is a death to the soul. If we don't, our shame increases, and we can never feel fully accepted or loved by others. Of even more importance, we cannot fully love and honor ourselves and God. We cannot allow God to fully love and honor us. Should we show our true self? Should we keep it hidden? This is the battle. I'm double-minded, and I'm unstable in all my ways. Hmm. The stages of recovery are easily understood. However, a bit of a press is required to achieve them. I will start with the humanist aspects, and then I'll turn to the spiritual aspects. Making a connection regarding the shame with another human being is the first step. Yet when one's life has been shame-based, connecting with another about shame feels very risky. To hear oneself say the words out loud is terrifying. Acknowledging to another means self-acknowledgement. Self-acknowledgement requires us to feel not only the pain of the shameful emotion, its characteristics and the behaviors, but also the dimensions of the mass that we have hidden behind for a lifetime. Once we have seen the mask and explored the pain, it is hard to wear the mask in the same way. If I can name the mask, examine the mask, and put the mask back on, then that means I have not explored the pain that is under the mask and I have not healed it. It is very easy to often identify, perhaps, what we're wearing, what falsity we carry. But if you can name it, identify it, tell me where it came from, and you keep putting it back on, it's because you refuse to go into the pain for God to be able to heal it. And that is the step that we must take if we want to be healed and if we want to be authentic before God. Self-acknowledgement also makes me see the persons responsible as they are without excuses. And if I verbalize it to others, I have to feel and hear others' perceptions of the ones I truly love. I become a child again, protecting against the truth and hiding for fear of abandonment. The others are not around, yet I feel as if I can be wounded by them all over again I must move to reality and expose and despise this very shame and untruth. Facing shame also means we have to grieve the loss, the loss of the childhood we wish we had, the pain we actually felt and hid, the desire to be wanted as a child, the desire not to be wounded again, the desire to be held and kissed, and told we were the center of someone's world. We have to grieve the reality of who our caretakers are without making excuses for them. It is very painful to realize we will never be five years old again. That, That time has long passed. We must grieve this loss. We must make a list of what has been lost and grieve each one. And tomorrow I'm gonna break down the grieving process and the mourning task. So try to have connected some of the dots before we get there. This debilitating shame and guilt causes us to lead sinful and unauthentic lives. Even though we have been washed and purified, we still are holding on to the shame of the past. We still are hiding ourselves from God We are still treating God like we treated our caretaker, acting as if he wants us to be masked so he can approve of us. We have to be like him and despise the shame that was set before him. We have had shame set before us. Will we despise it to gain the joy that is ours? We have to remove everything that says the word of God is not true and that God could not possibly love me with all the filth that's inside of me. We must get to the point to be able to see our real sins and label the sins that are an illusion. What is the devil accusing you of that is not true? The devil needs you to hold on to the shame so he can wear us out. Without the shame, he loses his grip. What are you carrying that doesn't belong to you? Can you take hold to the help that God is offering us and get free? Or is the fear bigger than God's promises? Shame is part of the reasons why we don't praise and worship God purely. We think we are not good enough to lift our hands and voices to God, for we know who we are. And when we do, we feel guilty and shameful because we know we shouldn't. We fail to see ourselves as God sees us, so we feel dirty and guilty to worship. I need to see me as God sees me. I need to feel about me the way God feels about me. If my parents' view of me shamed me, then God's view of me will heal me. We must embrace who we are in God, his children, his bride, we are one, in him yet we hold on to being unwanted unloved and worthless in essence we are saying if I am worthless then God is because I'm one with him so if we look at some examples of how God is very different from our caretakers and I'm going to go over a couple of them where I told you where shame can be created I'm going to rebut that with how God really feels about us the feeling of not being wanted. God wanted an intimate relationship with us so badly, he put Himself on the cross, took our sins. God rejected from his father to cover the rejection from our fathers. Took the keys from Satan gave us eternal life. So we never have to be separated again. You must realize you are wanted. Disapproval of self instead of behaviors. God is love and all he does is love us. The thing that he has to remove himself from is just simply our bad behaviors, but never from the self. The self always remains loved by God. This love makes me want to act right, for his love then constrains me. Hiding a part of ourself, God wants all of me. Nothing is not to be brought to him. He wants you to be so intimate with him that everything you do, you acknowledge him. He wants you to hide nothing from him because he knows that I'm supposed to be hitting him. I am one with Christ. There is simply nothing to hide. Violating emotional or physical boundaries. Our relationship with Christ is based on free will. He doesn't push us. Or force us, he simply instructs us and asks, and then he leaves it to us. The book says in James 1 7 through 8 For truly let not such a person imagine that he will receive anything he asks for from the Lord. For being as he is a man of two minds, hesitating, dubious, indecisive, he is unstable and unreliable and uncertain about everything he thinks, feels, and decides. That's the Amplified Version. And we wonder why we're not receiving stuff from God. It is because we are unstable and we have these two minds. We want to quote we're children of God, we feel we're the royal pieces, we go through all that stuff, but we don't believe it. We don't hold on to the fact that God is madly in love with us. And it is not, and sorry, he is not embarrassed of who we are. Even my bad behaviors don't stop God from loving me. Even my bad attitudes, my shameful acts. My not wanting to accept and receive the love he's trying to pour on me. He's not embarrassed that I'm his. He's not mad and going to change his mind because he chose me. He said he can't never leave me nor forsake me, no matter what. But we don't believe it. Because we still got the instability. He never wanted me to feel worthless because I was flawed. He knew we were flawed. For he knows he is my righteousness. He is not the critical other trying to hold me up to an image that is unattainable. He even says in Ephesians 5 and 27, that he might present the church to himself in glorious splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and faultless. Jude 24, now to him who is able to keep you without stumbling or slipping or falling and to present you unblemished, blameless and faultless before the presence of his glory in triumphant joy and exaltation with unspeakable ecstatic delight. But what we quote in church is he's coming back for a church without spot wrinkle or any such thing. That's not what the book says. The book says that he's gonna present us. He does the presentation. I don't need to be a presentation anymore. We are his work. Is he not the potter and we the clay? Can he not create us into his glorious unspotted church? It's his working not ours? These bent scriptures create more shame because I know I have spots and wrinkles. I know that I can't present myself to be unspotted, unwrinkled, and having no such thing. I'm worthless once again. And this time I have failed my God. A perpetuation of shame. We have even bent scriptures to shame us, to keep us comfortable in our shame. That's why we misquote them, that's why we change little verbiage is to make me comfortable it's not because it's what the word says we make up songs all this stuff to keep me where i cannot attain the image that i think god has of me 99 and a half won't do who said that you wrote that song my book don't say that so we hold on to this stuff and again we're in this cycle that i'm not good enough I'm not worthy I'm gonna fail and hell is gonna be my home and as much as we press and try and jump and shout still deep within our being we feel we have missed it and God is disappointed and God is sad and God can't stand me Isaiah 1 and 18 it says come let's talk this over says the Lord no matter how deep the stain of your sins, I can take it out and make you as clean as freshly fallen snow. Even if you are sustained as red as crimson, I can make you white as wool. If you will only let me help you, if you will only obey, then I will make you rich. But if you keep on turning your backs, in refusing to listen to me, you will be killed by your enemies. I, the Lord, have spoken. Our greatest enemy is in our minds; it is we. Our shame is the enemy that we need to kill, as Andre spoke in one of his messages. I think, do not. Um, do you have time for change? When he was talking about Jacob wrestling, he said, "When we wrestle, it is with God and ourself." never with others if our focus is on others we must look deeper we must finally confess and mean that you are God and I am not my thoughts cannot outweigh his thoughts even about myself will we look into God find his heart and eyes and ears and finally feel see and hear what he really thinks of us or will we stumble and be killed by ourselves so i'm going to read a few scriptures and i'm going to let y'all meditate on them because i think they're pretty powerful psalms 32 5 through 8 it says i acknowledge my sin to you in my iniquity i did not hide I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, continually unfolding the past till all is told. Then you instantly forgave me the guilt and iniquity of my sin. Selah. Iniquity, sin, and transgressions are not the same. Iniquity is the vice, the wickedness, the injustice of the sin. The fat, the shame of the sin. Transgression is the act of going beyond or overstepping the limit. In sin is anything that misses the mark of God. So take note that he confessed all three. So nothing is left out and all can be forgiven. We must give it all to him. So I'm going to start that and just read it all the way through. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord, continually unfolding the past till all is told. Then you instantly forgave me the guilt and iniquity of my sin. For this forgiveness let everyone who is godly pray, pray to you in a time when you may be found Surely when the great waters of trial overflow they shall not reach the spirit in him You are a hiding place for me You Lord preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs and shouts of deliverance I the Lord will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go I will counsel you with my eye upon you He is saying I will always see you, and you were never invisible to God. Psalms 25, 1, and then 4 through 7. It says, unto you, O Lord, do I bring my life. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and faithfulness, and teach me for you are the God of my salvation. For you, you only and altogether, do I wait expectantly all the day long. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercy and loving kindness, for they have been ever from old. Remember not the sins, the lapses and the frailties of my youth or my transgressions. According to your mercy and steadfast love, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. And the last one, Philippians 4, six through seven. It says, do not fret or have any anxiety about anything, but in every circumstance and in everything, by prayer and petition, definite requests, with thanksgiving, continue to make your wants known to God, and God's peace shall be yours, that tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. And so, fearing nothing from God and being content with its earthly lot of whatever sort it is, that peace that transcends all understanding shall garrison or be an occupying force and mount guard over your hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus if we take everything to God add thanksgiving to it give him definite request he said he's gonna give him give us his peace and it's gonna be a guard around our hearts and mind therefore nothing can break in because who can defeat God the problem is we don't take it all to God we hold on to the stuff we too ashamed to share We hold on to the stuff we don't want to confess as truth. So then God doesn't have the ability to give us that peace that we are looking for. This is the next step for us to give God our shame. And watch him heal us and take it away. I know he can do it. In my prayer time, he said it will hurt, but I will heal you. He wants us to tear down these walls that keep him away from us. He's not content being on the outside. He doesn't wanna play with us. He wants to be our God. We've got to get uncomfortable with falsity and get more comfortable with the truth. No more double-mindedness, no more identity confusion, I am one in Christ. Now let's trust and give him the depth of our pains and our sorrows. He is our hiding place. Cry out to your God and let him heal you. If you do not give it to him, he cannot heal you. If you want to give him just a little kernel, he may heal that kernel. But you know the rest of your life is still going to be in shambles it's your choice you get to choose do you want freedom and healing and to finally grow into the potential that god has set in your life or is the fear of pain so terrifying and do you distrust god that much that if he tears you down he won't pick you back up i have a song that i want andre to play since angela couldn't be here and pray for her because, you know, she lost her mom. Um, but the song is called In the Waiting. And the lady is speaking of pain being a gift that nobody really wants to have. But if I can know it's OK to be in this place, and if you can wrap your arms around me and let me know that it's OK, and give me peace beyond my understanding, Then, in the waiting, I'm going to be okay.
1: The gift nobody longs for, still it comes. Somehow leaves us stronger When it's gone away, away I try and pray for your will To be done But I confess it's never fast enough For me